0: got hooked from just the camaraderie Um, and you know what there was encouragement with no pity and i find that very very i guess satisfying having a disability when you're out doing something that people find inspiring they don't know how to actually comment or, or say you keep going awesome you know what I mean when it should be exactly the same as when you see an other person going like yeah kick, kick an ass or head up or blah 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 so you know I found the community in trail running they weren't condescending because everyone was struggling
1: Kia ora that was Troy Sachs I'm Matt Raymond I'm Eugene Bingham and this is Dirt Church Radio interesting conversations with interesting runners
2: Wild things VIP discounts 15 months for the price of 12 Of course you get One. to use the shop Two. Now Matt I don't know if you know this But you can get 15% off boil. Three Did you know
1: that? No I'm just counting the reasons though oh, There's yeah. three good 10% reasons 10% off Garmin 15% VIP.
2: off Jetboil, 20% off Skinny 20, 25% off Ron Hill I don't think that's You can buy Ron Hill I think it's the the gear but anyway, um right. that's not even scratching the surface. Uh, check it out, wildthings.club. Make sure you've got your VIP membership using your DCR 2022 code to pick up that little bit of and then we get a little bit of
1: as well. Thanks Rob. Everyone's everyone's happy and to clarify that is Ron Hill the running brand, not Ron Hill the uh, train conductor from Greymouth. Um We're super excited to share with you the community events that the best little independently owned outdoor store in the known universe Further Faster has coming up. Rob Hutchings, you might remember him from such shows as Dirt Church Radio. He is the wild swimmer, the epic triathlete uh, monster. He is coming to the store to share the launch of his new book, Downriver Nomad. Now, tickets are $10. It's dollars Tuesday, the 10th of May 2022, and all proceeds um, go to I Am Hope to help kids who are experiencing uh, mental health difficulties. If you go to 57A Buchan Street, can never say that properly, in Sydenham, Christchurch, uh, further faster cruise in there. They love their outdoors gear, they love the having a chat, they love dogs, they love beers, they love just life. Really, and so go check out Rob. Support a good cause and support our friends at Further Faster, which is www. furtherfaster. co. nz. Let's something like Further Faster. They're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy, and so is Badger. Jules is nice, and Jacob is delicious. Go to Further Faster now. Oh, Further Faster. They're in Christchurch. Rocky is hairy, and so is Badger. Jules is nice, and Jacob is delicious. Go to Further Faster now. Church
2: Radio Episode 188
1: We made it We did We did We did We certainly did Stoke um, levels are high Yeah, sure are uh, The conversation that we've just had with the legend that is Troy Sacks My mm. goodness me Fired up um, yep. Last week we had a big rundown of the Riverhead Backyard Relapse Ultra featuring Sam Harvey and this weekend, um, he went and got married. Yeah. Uh, way to pack it in. I hope he wasn't, you know, he's fashionably late, not too late. But, you know, here we go. Yeah. Um, boom, boom. Uh, yeah.
2: Some people were commenting on his social medias. Didn't recognize you. A bit of a different outfit.
1: Not with the yeah, he didn't go yeah, shirtless. He was wearing a, sh- he was wearing a shirt. He yeah. he shaved his tash. Yeah, um, no, looking very suave. Well done, smooth. you too. And and as you said, you know, like I won, so you know, like well done, mm. man. You mm. you know, you, you got the girls. So that's right.
2: And then and then this week, um, yeah, like Matt said, an absolute beast, Troy Sacks, um, trail and ultra runner or runner, as he says. I'm not a trail and ultra runner. I'm a runner from Australia. Um, sp- uh, Australian Sports Hall of Fame member, um, a below the knee amputee, uh, wheelchair basketball player who's competed at five, is that five or six? Five? Yep.
1: No, five Paraly- Paralympic Games yep. and middle three times, two yeah. gold, one silver. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's taken on
2: some massive challenges um, running wise.
1: Uh, we had a good deep dive with him, didn't we? He is fired up and. I just, just continuing that. St- I don't know what it is. It's probably me, but the stoke is back in the world. It seems. Yeah. You know, like Riverhead stoked. Uh, st everywhere I look, stoked, and talking to Troy, like po- probably the most stoked man ever. Yeah, maybe I'm yeah. not sure. The stoker meter is high, but yeah, like, and, like but, try I mean, not what- getting. Fired up after this conversation.
2: Mm. I mean, what was interesting too was that, like, you know, he he comes to running with an elite athlete mindset. Having having, yeah. I mean, the stories that he tells about his his wheelchair basketball days and um, are, are quite extraordinary. The 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 professionalism yeah. in that game and the dedication that he had to it. Um, and he brought that mentality with him to running, which he's picked up yeah. relatively recently. Um, but yeah. but what was really interesting too was hearing his, his um, thoughts on recovery as well. It's yeah. like, it's not just about going hard uh, in training. It's about going hard in recovery as well, um, which is kind of counterproductive. Sorry, not counterproductive, counterintuitive, but um, makes sense when you think about it.
1: Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I was really, and again, it shining a light like that whole thing about Things that struck out to me was like I was a professional wheelchair basketball player in basketball player in Europe, you know. And there's this whole big thing. The world is so much bigger than we think it is. Mm. Um, but access and you know, ten thousand people turning up to games. Yeah. Biggest like, salary cap in the NRL. Yeah, Poof. that's that's incredible. Also, mm. you know, when he was discussing, you know, the um, congratulation without pity. You know, yeah. that is a real gut check to me to yeah. like when you're asking a question, of course, I just wanted to ask him about the mechanics of a stump. Like, I really am interested in that. Mm. And yet I found myself and I think I'm pretty, you know, switched on checking myself. And then he sort of was like, nah, you know, whatever. And just it's ask like, Go me. for it. Yeah. But yeah. Just ask me. It's It's a fantastic mm. opportunity to reflect on your own view of people who may have a disability yeah, or who yeah. do have a disability, not may have a disability. Yeah. He not, might not have one leg. He does. <laughs> That's <he's very> right. <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. No,
2: you will You will love this conversation uh, for a multitude of reasons. Um, how, was, how, how have you been going, man?
1: I think I might have a... Uh, and I know that this is the pot calling the kettle annoying. I might have a, a new... Contender for greatest run ever. So, wow! I know, I know. Wow. This weekend I had. Well, um, you know what to do. I will. I'll send it in. Thank you. I'll leave it there. Actually, but it was. A, a, I had a fantastic weekend of running, yeah. uh, and it was fulfilling for for lots of reasons. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I see here. I'll, I'll let you explain, but avoiding the nudists. That's yeah, a
2: very yeah. Descriptive. Well, descriptive. So I was over on on um, Wahiki, which is a, an island in the Hawaii Gulf off Auckland, for those of you who don't know, Tamaki Makoto, and I um, was over there at the weekend, and where we were staying, uh, Palm Beach, I, I knew that there were some good local trails, and I thought, I'll go and check them out. And I'd had a look beforehand, I saw, if you ran down the far end of the beach, and then just go a little bit further around some rocks, there was a, a, a trail that seemed to go up, up through there. So I was like, okay, cool. So I set off on Saturday morning, you know, it was about seven o'clock. Along the beach, round the rocks, got round the corner, and realised, oh, hang on, this, um, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. This is a nudist beach, and there are a couple. Oh, you of old boys. Point? There were a couple of old boys there already. <laughs> um, standing there, loud and you know, proud. And uh, I was like, oh, this is awkward, um, because I was I didn't know quite where the trail was, so I'm kind of stopping and looking having to look towards them, trying to find the trail.
1: And we know the golden, the golden rule, rule of naturalism is uh, being a naturalist is glance, don't stare, right? And you're well, trying to... Yeah,
2: yeah, so I'm trying to look to see where the trail is, hoping they're not thinking that anyway. I gave up. I, go, I just turned on my heels and went away um, and figured out another way to run because I just, I couldn't do it. Anyway, had a, had a nice couple of runs and a couple of good swims. <sighs> So yeah, all's well it ends well. But there you go.
1: Could Why Hickey Island get any more bougie?
2: I know you could. I know. I think it's been that way for a while. That to be fair, I think that that particular no, no, place I'm not suggesting been...
1: it's 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 nouveau bougie. But you know, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Balls indeed.
1: out for naturalism.
2: That's right. That's right. All right. Let's let's do a bit of this.
0: Stop.
2: It's a bit quiet at the moment, eh?
1: We're in that interesting interstitial period between yeah. stuff kicking off. Yeah. Um, yeah, we've had we've had a flurry, we had some races cancelled. Then it's all back on, and now everyone's kind of taking a breath. I know that I, I don't really. What should people know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're thinking of the the Ultra Trail Australia um, organisers. We're hopeful, yeah, that the race can crossed. go ahead.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, and the community
2: crossed. up there in the Blue Mountains too. I mean, they've been absolutely hammered. Um, and and we're thinking of everyone up there. Um, you know, there's been some tragedy as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's fingers crossed, really. Um, you know, and hopefully, uh, the weather sorts itself out, and they can get the race ahead. But you know, people first, safety first, and all that sort of stuff. But um, 100%. look, I, I did I did notice a really interesting post on the old Wild Things. Uh, you know, friends of the show, of course, the old Facebook page the other day from Sean Sean Nicholson crew boss extraordinaire, just general all-round good guy. He was asking about mantras, what what people do to get themselves through mentally, um, to get over the line, up the hill, through a bad patch. And he mentioned something that Murray Taylor, um, who I was lucky enough to go for a couple of runs with um, over over summer, um, when he and Sean did their self-supported um, Tata Weta 100 in February, Murray passing the advice know the difference of when you are hurting and when you are hurt if it's just hurting get going It's pretty good advice Yeah. um there is a, there, a, there, there is a sorry Matt
1: no no there's a real difference between the two yeah. isn't it hurting and and hurt i um I put the hurting on some of the people in the start line at, at relapse I said that mind of matter stuff if uh, you know it's it's that cliche if you don't mind it doesn't matter mm. um mm. What about this? What have you put here? This legend, uh, Hamish Hammer-Johnston, helping others and engaging with others, just simply smiling, a quick chat at an aid station or with a fellow runner, has pulled me out of myself and away from some hurt, uh, snapped in a focus of hurt long enough to refocus, and along those lines, helping others on the trail has always helped pull me up along, and often in a really big event, like 100 miles, so losing 10 to 15 minutes isn't a major if, if you're not at the pointy end, but that act of giving... Helping comes back to you. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Taking yourself out of yourself, and yeah, um,
2: so true, so true. Um, and you know, everyone from Elliot Kipchogo, um, you know, has that philosophy. Well, lots of people have have that philosophy. I know that he he deliberately smiles because then people can't help but smile back at you, and 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 it's kind of like a um, never-ending circle of of happiness, if you like. And um, that's really energising, isn't it? It's so true. I try and do it when I'm racing, um, being, you know, polite and thankful to, to people on the course, to the marshals, um, to the aid station volunteers and so on. Uh, it, it just kind of makes them feel good, makes you feel good um, when they're, you know, they, they're encouraged by that and they, they say day back. And um, yeah, it's kind of, it's, yeah, brilliant. Brilliant. Love it. But what else you know? People should um, yeah. If you got got some ideas, send send them in. Yeah, let us know either through. on social
1: yeah. media or at Dirt Church Radio or at our email dirtchurchradio@gmail.com. Let us know any tips, any mantra that you have um, that you feel comfortable sharing, and mm. and and what gets you through. Yeah. All right. Greatest, greatest run, run ever. ever. Greatest run ever. Greatest run ever, which is the part of the show where we ask you to write into us and tell us your greatest run ever doesn't have to be a race or a mountain summit. might just be the old run around the block. Something that's sung to you for some reason. Send them in to us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. And this is from Mark Ballantyne. I have to admit, I'm a very casual runner. At my best, completing a few half marathons and three, four marathons in my younger years. The best was Rotorua Marathon in 3 hours 38 minutes where I had a goal of under 3 hours 30. So... I was a bit gutted, but I've always run for fun with a few events just to keep the focus. These days, it's very much for fitness and well-being, and since May 1st, 2021, I've run every second day without fail, more than 145 runs to date. I'm a creature of habit, aren't we all, bro? I've been meaning to ride in for ages and already had a greatest run ever in mind. Over the holiday break, I experienced an amazing run, which was the trigger to submit both runs. For many years, work in IT provided me with opportunities to travel all over the world, I enjoyed several trips to Hono, Honora, hmm. Honiara, Honiara. I in the Solomon Islands where I attended Monday Night Hash Harriers group which would run through the trails around Honiara. It was fantastic to step away from our computers and see more of the country. After a number of Monday nights, I found myself running near the front of the lead group with another Kiwi expat. As we approached the end of the run, the pace increased further and further to the point where I found myself running full steam through the trail. I reached the finish ahead of the other runners, my first and only win. Albeit a casual Monday night jaunt through the Honiara countryside, it felt great. That's a pretty good one. Mm. How many people can say they've... Because when he's p- saying trail, that's jungle trail. Yeah, that's ho- that's in, in the, lit- in the literal, actual jungle. Yeah, yeah. He said, right, we're digressing. And now on to my recent run. My wife and I had the pleasure of spending a few days in Pawanui with friends over the New Year period. While on holiday, I was determined to maintain the consistent pattern of running every second day. Early on Saturday the 1st, I decided to set off through the streets of Pawanui, arriving at the base of Mount Pawanui. I stopped to consider whether to proceed up the hill or not. With 16-year-old and 18-year-old sons, their favorite term is send it. Mm -hmm. With that term in mind, I set off up the track, quickly coming up behind a group of walkers. The first person in the group announced runner coming and moved over to let me pass. At that point, I was committed to both the trip up the hill and the pace, so away I went. The trip to the top was much the same with lots of encouragement and the fantastic feeling of being close to nature. Running in the bush is amazing. After a quick selfie at the top, I proceeded back down the track and spotted the Cave Bay route, and a sense of adventure took over. This was my first time running on a trail in many years. It was amazing. The trail was smooth and flowing, so peaceful and quiet. It was a blissful trip down the hill around the rocky shoreline to arrive back at the track, absolutely exhausted but feeling great. A short trip through the streets to our accommodation to begin 2022. Fantastic. Thanks, wow, Mark. Mark. Yeah, that was awesome. I mean, you know, yeah, both those runs.
2: We'll let you have you too. We will. Yeah,
1: we'll let you have you too because I think that's a first ever Solomon Islands. I think it might be. Mm. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So well um, done. And 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 it's great that um, yeah, the old send it.
1: I love that. I love that. It's a great to. phrase. I think yeah.
2: it's a great phrase. Send it. Brilliant. Thank you, Mark. Um, the rest of you, In fact, I just wanted to say too that Mark in his introductory comments. Um, passed on his thanks to us for doing the podcast but also his thanks to everyone who shares because that's the thing I think we've been so lucky in that people share so much um, you know through those greatest runs ever uh, and, and in other, other ways the interviewees and so on it's it's wonderful that, that there's this trail community that um, that allows you know that people can share and they, and they do and, and people appreciate that so thanks for mentioning that too Mark um, the rest of you send in your greatest run ever share your greatest run ever Share it with others and with us. Um, send it into us, SturtChurchRadio at gmail.com.
1: Right, on with our interview. Troy Sachs is a beast. Um, as we said at the top, you know he is a member of the Austra- Australian Sports Hall of Fame. Uh, he's been to five Paralympic Paralympics. He's medalled at three of them, uh, two golds and a silver playing wheelchair basketball. He was a professional wheelchair basketball player for 20 years. Uh, the highest levels of the sport, coached, and now describes himself as a virginal runner. Um, He is someone who is attempting UTA Touchwood for the second time. He, He has an open conversation with us about what that takes for someone with a disability, like having one leg and the extra things that he has to think about and the consequences. Dare you not to be stoked by this interview? Dare you not to be fired up about, you know, uh, thinking about recovery and thinking about how hard you train and, you know, like, whether, you know, where you fall on the, uh, you know, Troy Sachs' beast spectrum. So without further delay, here's our conversation with the immense Troy Sachs. Dirt
0: Church Radio.
1: Three-time Paralympic medalist and member of the Australian Sports Hall of Fame, Troy Sachs. Welcome to Dirt Church Radio. G'day, gents. How are you going? Yeah, good. Very, very excited to have you on the line with us, actually. I, uh, Yeah, it's, it's we certainly interview uh, – we talked to a lot of runners, and you are a runner, but uh, not too many people with such a, a pedigree of yours as yours. So thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey, look, just launching – sorry, there's a bit, that was a statement, not a question. But just uh, <laughs> launching in, um, do you want to just – for those who, who you know – don't know um what was your history with competitive sport how did you how did you get into the world of
0: wheelchair basketball okay well i'm a i'm born with my disability so i was born without the fibula um and uh, i did have a little foot that was coming off the edge of the tibia that was like a little duck's flipper so and that was kind of really angular you know for walking around or motion it was really useless and and I was born and alive, so sort of mid-70s when it comes to disabilities in, in, you know, in Australia anyway, it was, it was nothing really around at that time. So and they were talking about amputating my foot, uh, sorry, my leg above the knee when all I had wrong was my foot was a bit gummy. So my, my parents immigrated from Germany and my dad was sort of like, well, there's no use taking the knee, it's still good. So we found this, well, they found this doctor that was looking at doing uh, some, some revolutionary operations. So they just took off the foot. First person in 77 to have that operation called Symes Conversion. Um, and now it's very common because uh, birth defects like mine happen only in male. And then females usually have the left hand similar. So they just took the foot off. My dad made my first prosth- prosthetic um, out of sort of Paris with some Velcro strips and then as I grew, I wore an artificial leg. I played out all overboard sports, um, then sort of got in and out of playing soccer, got hit with a bad tackle and broke my kneecap on the artificial leg side. Um, so that put me in hospital. Some guy was rolling around in hospital who played wheelchair basketball and said, You know, man, you're pretty tall. I was six foot four at the age of 14. He said, have you ever thought about wheelchair basketball? My brother and I played basketball sort of for, for the Illawarra Hawks, which is the region we grew up in. And um, I, as soon as I sat in that wheelchair, it was like oh, amazing because my torso is tall. I got a six-nine wingspan and I became sort of, you know, the biggest fish in the smallest of ponds, you know. And uh, Paralympic games in 1992 um, and uh, played on the senior men's team from there, I was scouted by the American team to go to American college. So, at the age of 17, without finishing high school, I jumped on a plane in 1994 uh, and uh, 1993 and went over to the University of Wisconsin and started studying uh, medicine at the University of Wisconsin. You know, from there, it just the stratosphere just opened up, you know, sort of uh, invented some. Different parts of the wheelchair that, that helps make the game more agile. And I strapped myself to the wheelchair and invented jumping the chair. Uh, you know, five Paralympic games later, two gold medals, a silver. Um, and, and you know what? I'll just say right now, the difference between running and playing my wheelchair basketball is that a silver medal in a team sport really doesn't mean much, but in running. Shit! If I was ever to win a silver medal, it's holy moly, <laughs> you know, because you actually beat somebody in a team sport. There's only two left, so it's like the silver medals, like I don't know the yellow ribbon at school with four. You're <laughs> not really first, second, or third. You get the yellow ribbon for the
2: it's always the way it, um or often the way, not always the way. Often the way at, at Olympics and Paralympic games, isn't it? You see the the victory dais, the the gold medalist looking really ecstatic. The bronze is often looking yeah. ecstatic as well because they managed to oh, get yeah. up on the dais, and silver just looks gutted. <laughs> oh, man,
0: this is just. Ugh. <laughs> so, yeah, so I played professionally in in, in America and throughout Europe for twenty five years. Um, you know, and it was my full-time job. You know, in Europe, wheelchair basketball is just—it's just huge. It's you know, it's uh, funded by the UNSI Foundation. ONC—they have their own F1 racing team. Uh, it's two percent of the national income. And what they do is they own the lottery in the country, and they own all the dry cleaners throughout the country, and they employ only disabled people. You know, it's a fantastic model, and it's—and they have a wheelchair basketball team that I played in East Germany, uh, where my father was sax from the in the area of saxon in swickow I'd like to see sort of you know the area that he sort of was around in the old east you know so it was um yeah and that's in the past now and but uh, it's it's fun to have a quick chat about it and, and sort of reminisce
2: i mean what a an amazing and celebrated career um what did it mean to you to be inducted into the sports hall of fame
0: you know, in Australia we we have some iconic, legendary uh, sports people like a Dawn Fraser or a John Bertrand or a Robert D. And you know, those those guys are all able bodied uh, athletes. And when you're a Paralympian, you always you always strive for recognition or equality within not only within your sport, within the, the public domain. And and for me, the I guess the the nail in the coffin was being inducted at such a young age the Australia's Sports Hall of Fame. I think I'm the fourth Paralympian, behind some very, very you know astute individual athletes. Um, so you know it, it definitely signaled the end of my wheelchair basketball career, and, and, and gave and gave me closure on that career. But you know it 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 gave me a sense of belonging. It gave me a sense of Enormous pride, equal if not more important than my gold medals, mm. and, and I say that because it's it's the able-bodied population voting to say that I am now mm. at a at a level playing field. At, at at I've been accepted. My my performances through my sport and my disability has nothing to do with it. It's yeah. it's basically recognition and saying, you know what. What you did on the sporting field was equal, if not better than than the other members of the Hall of Fame, and and sitting in with those those legends of of, of you know, and iconic mm. people in in Australian folklore, you know, it was um it was a crowning moment, and I guess also too, you know, my my parents never saw me play for Australia apart from Sydney, um because they couldn't really afford to come to any any Paralympic games, so having my mum there and my brother there that. That have been there the whole way through. You know, when you're an amateur, to when you're clipping a paycheck, to to obviously then, you know, being at the end of the game, it was it's really nice to share with them because they've you know they've always been there and they've seen they've seen the hard work that goes into it before you get the accolades.
2: Mm, yeah, amazing, amazing, and and kind of on the on the same vein, but just. You know, you must have seen massive changes in para sport over the years in terms of access and and understanding and and recognition.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah For not, you know, a phenomenal amount of change. I think the public now know what a Paralympian is. You know, and also too, social media has a huge, mm. a huge, uh, I guess, impact. It's definitely trending in the right direction. You know, Brisbane having the the twenty thirty two games. You know, you know. Hopefully, we see some some. Um, I guess some more quality come out of out of hosting the games with funding and on parallel and so forth.
1: Mm. I mean, you're certainly right, being of our generation, you know, when you're a 20-year-old man ripping it around, you know, playing professional wheelchair basketball, there's no real immediate influencing, is there? I mean, you, what are you, you're writing a letter to sponsors, clipping out newspapers, <laughs> all
0: that sort of stuff? Oh, exactly. There was, there's nothing, it was word of mouth. And, uh, you know, again, sim was fantastic because it put some of our athletes on the map. Almost, almost basically because if you were sponsoring the games, you had to have an Olympic equivalent, which was a Paralympian. Right. So the, 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 if you were successful in 96, you, you were able to, you know, I basically had to get a manager because I had too much to handle and I was playing in the US professionally. So, I wasn't home too much. So I had to get a manager to to manage all that sort of stuff. And where, where nowadays you, you sort of, you know, you're coming through the ranks, the Paralympian, and you sort of start to look around and you've already got a profile. You've already got, you know, thousands of viewers or things like that. But, you know, you, you, it, there's more, more, more opportunity nowadays than when I was. But then again, you know, you look at everybody's sport too, you know, global icons like Michael Jordan, imagine him with, with, with social media, Jeez. Like you, exactly. You know, you just go like. But then again, on the other hand, I look at I look at the paralytic sport, like trail running or or mountaineering or things like that. And without social media, I don't think that the we would be able to be exposed as much as we are to it. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to take the good, you know, the more good out of it the bad. I just need to maybe jump on board a bit better.
1: I mean, this is the thing. It's you talk about access and 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 helping to promote understanding. You know, there's definitely that amazing side of it. And and what it does is, you know, I'll be perfectly honest with you, Troy, I'd never heard of the fact that there was a competitive wheelchair basketball league right through the US and Europe, you know, and that 20 years ago you were able to play professionally. And I think – Oh,
0: yeah. In, in, whereas in today – In Europe, the salary cap is bigger than the NRL. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. Here's the thing. So here's the thing. I played for a guy in Italy. And and his, he he ran a wood veneer company. He said to me, his worst client was a flat pack furniture company. He supplied the wood veneer to Rolls for the uh, Queen's cars. Wow! So he but, and also in these European companies, there's big tax breaks for getting involved with things for disabilities. So this guy not only had a wheelchair basketball team, but he built an Olympic swimming pool because his son had a disability and liked to swim. You know, so now it's one of the biggest biggest arenas for sport for people with disabilities in Europe. You know, and again, the UNC Foundation in Spain. You talk about all these other people that sort of get involved at it. So it's just a different a different world. And also, too, I think the Europeans are more community based. So when I played in East Germany, we were the only professional team in in that town of Swigau. So we used to get two thousand people watch us train three nights a week, and they used to come for a beer and a sausage. And on the weekends we go to the biggest stadium and get sometimes 10,000 people to watch wheelchair basketball where you we come back to Australia and we we're, we we're, we're happy, you know. We're not we're, you know what we're happy to get mum and dad because sometimes mum and dad have got a gut full of watching their kids play the sport after 10 or 15 years, right? They're like, "Oh, another one." Jesus. <laughs> it's just
1: and I guess that's the thing today, you know, with social media kids or people who are interested or gravitate towards there's not there is perhaps that sense of at least digital community it's it's just incredible but look when did you start running yep, for sure. you know you've done all the stuff um, you know <laughs> like yeah, running a yeah, shot.
0: you know you know what i, I call myself a, a virginal runner uh 2017 i did my first hundred kilometers and that was the Oxfam trail walker, which is sort of in, in Australia. You go from uh, Brooklyn to Manly. So um, I would have to say, I reckon maybe March 2017, I started to actually, go jogging, running, and getting into it. But you know, in all honesty, you kind of you're not going to be running properly unless you know with you have a you have a running blade. So there was equipment issues that I had to take care of. So I did my first ultra. In just my everyday leg that I'd walk around, um, and my brother and I and another guy, Brucey, we we did um, 100Ks with I think I think Oxfam has 47 meters, 40, 4700 meters elevation, and we knocked that off in 29 hours. Wow! And and I my stump felt like it had just been amputated. Mm. It it was. <laughs> Oh, I've never, I've never had Nurofen in my life. I always just Panadol or you know take a good old can of harden up. But um, (laughs) I had this ulcer on the back of my leg that was the size of a ten cent piece, and it was really deep, like a volcano, like an upside down volcano type thing. And my brother and I was about to quit twenty ks out. My brother said, "No way, you can't quit. No way." So he gave me some Nurofen, and I was like, "This is just the best thing ever." So. We, we we sort of we sort of did that. And from there, I got hooked from just the camaraderie. Um and you know what? There was encouragement with no pity. And I find that very, very, I guess, satisfying. Having a disability when you're out doing something that people find inspiring, they don't know how to actually comment or or mm. say, keep mm. going, awesome, you, you know what I mean, when it should be exactly the same as when you see an over person going, like, yeah, keep kicking ass or head up or blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I found the community in trial running, they weren't condescending because everyone was struggling. Mm. Everyone was, Everyone is in the same <laughs> yeah. hurt locker. You might be a bit deeper than other people, but everyone knows what it feels like to hurt or yeah. to embrace this.
1: Yeah,
0: All those sort of sayings. So I came out of that thinking to myself, all right, well, I need to get a better leg. I need to do a lot more lunges, a lot more squats. And I just got hooked. I just, you know, the 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 high of finishing something that had no importance in the world, um, there was no money. It wasn't for a job. It was for pure enjoyment. It took me back to being a kid riding my BMX with my mates, you know, just the old PLAY playing. And I and I've been hooked ever
2: since. Mm. You do I mean, you did though, I've seen you say or well, you reported as saying that one thing about running was it, it fed the beast. You're in a you in a competitive self in some way. Can you can you describe that beast to us and, and what running does in terms of it's, feeding that beast?
0: Yeah, so after the Oxfam, what I what I found was the, the, the training and the, the, the let's say boots on the ground time what it did it, it, it allowed honestly to get away from from therapy uh, counseling because the the natural endorphins that go through the through the body um, it allowed me to be free and and especially once I got the right equipment to be you know to be able to sort of you know run a five averaging four and a half minute K's, was something that I didn't ever reach or feel, and and after that, you know, when you when you compete for a very very long time, it becomes part of your DNA. I could bench press one hundred and thirty kilos. I could squat one hundred and fifty. Apart from shooting baskets, I was a professional bodybuilder. That's what I just lived in the gym. So there was for me. It was always higher, faster, I would do more. Or you know, I would lift after games, or you know. Two three hours after winning a gold medal in '96, I started playing for Sydney. You know, and then Sydney failed. I left. I left uh, basically the very next morning. I moved to Italy, my to next chapter, because we failed in Sydney. And so I've always had this thing. Right, it's deep down in my gut that you know you don't talk about it. It's, it's the ugly part of training for me. It was was being you know, able to feed that, but there was no consequences if it didn't work. There's there's no other sacks in the race. I I win all the time because every step I move forward. So for me now, feeding the beast, it's about the distance. It's about how far I can go before I get the serious hurt. And then then when the serious hurt comes, okay, well, how do I how do I manage that? You know, like the the Navy SEALs in the U.S. have this thing called three feet squared. So I my my world only in a, in a one-metre square when I'm when I'm running. And nothing else matters out of that. And that's, that's able to, you know, I guess I've changed. I guess my beast has evolved into instead of, you know, physically and mentally dominating my opposition, it, it now is, okay, well, how can I best work this problem that I'm going to have? Because I know over 50 to 100 kilometres work this problem now to keep feeding my beast to keep moving forward and go faster and higher and stronger. And and it's but but again, then there's no consequence. There's no coaches or administrators or owners getting annoyed. And mm. so, so I'm able to push as hard as I can. And now the other beautiful thing about the beast is I'm I'm, I'm the only one that's accountable. Um, and, and I find that so rewarding now because it's up to me whether I get up at 3 o'clock in the morning because I've got a six-hour session to do, but I've still got to take the kid to school and I've still got to work and all, all sorts of things. So I think the piece has evolved to a point where where I haven't, it's not audition, it's about the environment or the problem-solving that needs to be worked out.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you are your inner competitive sound self <laughs> sounds quite quite similar to your outer competitive self. It's amazing to hear you so fired up about it. Um, and it's, I'm really interested in what you said about as a question before you said sort of congratulations without pity. Do you think that's because sometimes able-bodied people almost trip over themselves? Like, oh, I want to ask this question. However, <laughs> I, I don't want to come up. Oh, that was no pun intended. Uh, you know, trip over themselves because it's that sense of, what if I ask a question that I'd ask anyone else, like Matt? When you run, do you get sore here, or do you get sore here? But if I ask Troy, is somehow going to be highlighting this perceived this perceived loss that I have?
0: How? Do, I mean, and I guess totally I think, yeah, totally. Like we get, you know, what we we lose the ability as a child going into teenage to an adult, and I think what we also do is we we put up barriers so we we feel like we can't talk to people or ask questions or. or Or feed our own curiosity when it comes to uh disabilities especially uh you know with the the red tape that's up there and all these other things so i don't know like i i always feel that when kids come up with questions about my leg the parents are so close to the kids because they want to hear you know they they, they, the kids are asking questions that the adults are scared to ask Mm.
1: oh okay on that i mean Yep. one of the things that i'm really really interested in and you've i mean you've talked about it and I, I read some articles that you know Mark Green had written about coaching you, and you touched on it before is is the maintenance you know we all talk about having hot spots in our feet or hot spots, you know the maintenance of your uh stump in terms of your you know where your prosthesis fits i mean is that is it always inevitably over the course of say hundred kilometers going to become an issue for you, or is it something that is, is is more sort of? Sometimes it happens, sometimes it doesn't, and what are the consequences of that?
0: Well, the consequences could be dire. Yeah, and what I mean by that is: is it in the cold? You know, I get frostbite; I lose part of my stump. Uh, and the UTA last year, I fractured my my my, my tibia oh. at the forty k at the forty k mark. So basically, <laughs> uh, you know, the my. my also, I, I miss, I'm missing one of the hamstring heads and I'm missing uh, one of the biggest tendons that sort of wrap around the knee, join on this uh, mitochondrial hook. So in, at four, the tibia actually snapped off. So every time I was walking, it was opening and closing the bone. Jeez. So my, my I've got a very, very good good chiro who's a sports doctor and, and, and he's been sort of around. Mate, you can't do any more damage. If it snaps off, whatever. You Know so we, we we tried to put some and uh, you know, some um, pain numbing cream on it that's from a anesthesiologist and, and some stuff like that, and it worked for a little while. And so at 92 k's, I ended up having to pull the pin because you know the, the hurt like I wasn't deep enough. But I gotta say that it's it's I have about four pages of written nutrition of when I need to eat. My crew has a different bag every time I touch them. You know, we change bags with all the food in there, and we talk about you know equipment and and, and things like that. I can't have the equipment fail because that was mm-hmm. also an issue at the UTA. So I've actually now made my own running blade uh, with a with a carbon uh, carbon um, boat making company. I've designed my own blade shoe because they're not wide enough, so I've made it wider to to try and take the pain off it, but. You know, you get hot spots, you get blisters, you get rubbing, you know, it's, it's things like that. Material that I wear underneath a silicon socket that is a sweat socket. I can get four hours out of that now without changing a liner. You know, I usually go through two liners a race at 820 Um, You know, if you break a blade. So here's the other thing I was doing, I was doing uh, at Mount Solitary in, in the Blue Mountains and I, we sort of were coming down Mount Solitary, and and the, the the how the blade shoe connects is like a ski clip, but on the blade itself, there's a carbon fiber um, piece glued blade. Now that flung off, and it was like a like a ninja's, you know ninja star, and it stuck into a tree. So oh. coming down Mount Solitary without a shoe, so it was on on just the carbon. So it was like being bare you know barefoot on ice, but you know what. A piece of duct tape, you know, a good roll of duct tape fixes everything. artificial you know, sure. <laughs> it's uh that, that duct tape is the number one thing in my pack. I, I pack the duct tape before I pack wet, wet gear or even food, because that's saved me on a numerous occasions. So definitely, you know, and the other thing is too, with a foot, you can actually put band aids or your wool or things like that. But if you on the stump, when you go into the actual socket that's carbon fibre, if you put too much padding, then it actually starts a chain reaction, and gives you a somewhere else and somewhere else. But my prosthetist is 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 uh, you know amazing. Um, he's been doing it for well, gee, longer that I've been an amputee. I've now got a socket over the last four years. We've got the socket that you know I'm at. I average about hundred k a week running on foot, uh, let's say hiking, and then, you know, sort of 50K on the bike. And I haven't had any blisters or any sore spots um, so far and, and everything's moving in the right direction. So we'll just touch wood and we'll see how it goes. But, you know, I think if you plan for the worst, you know, sometimes I do carry two legs when I, when I, when I go out running. So my pack's a bit bigger than, than the norm. Um, so you know the arc could be possibly let's say anywhere between five and eight kilo. Mine's always between ten and twelve, just because I've got the, I need a socket and a wrench, and I need duct tape, and I need you know if I've got a spare blade, well I've got a spare blade and the bolts for the blade. So it's it sort of you know adds a little bit more of an element. But you know what, this is my life, and it's it's no diff. Like it's just you know you guys go get your running shoes on. Well, I only run running shoes, so. If there is an amputee out there that's right leg, that's size 12, that needs Injinju running socks.
2: <laughs> Brilliant. You, I mean, you've talked about having to um, adapt and in, in, in terms of the prosthetic, but you've also had to adapt because you were, as you mentioned, you were a, a beast in terms of being able to lift and and so on and, and push, shove weights around, shoving tin around. Um, so there's been an adaptation in in that regard as well. Can you talk to us about that?
0: Ego, lose your ego. <laughs> That's all it is. <laughs> because there's no there's no you know suns out guns out anymore as a as a wannabe run. it's um so I, I weigh in now about eighty one, and I'll probably run at about seventy seven. So in five weeks we've got UTA, well, probably not, but you know that's what we're planning. So I usually try and compete or do the event at seventy six, and then I you know run around at eighty. So it's been it's been a gradual process, and it's also the lighter I the less pounding on the stump mm. and and I think that that's what helped me so it's been an evolution of of you know change and and also too between changing the mentality between okay well it's not all about my torso up top it's actually more belly button down so mm. it's you know I've sort of changed a lot of the ways that I've I've done some stuff I've invented some new exercises specifically that I do for the, the the actual amputated side without the leg on. So a lot of elastic work that, that I'm trying to develop, you know, our knees, our quads, our proprioception on the BOSU, which just your artificial legs. So for me, my brain works in this kind of way that I, I break a problem down, you know, and, and Mark and then my physio, Pete, Pete Sweeney, he's, um, you know, he did the, the hundred last year in 11 hours and he's just a gun. And you know they're 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 very black and white with me. You know they treat me very equal, and, and, and so uh, it's it was a a mind change. Your ego has to go. There's no more checking out your abs. no more checking out the biceps. Or the, but for me, the lighter I get and the more nimble I get, I it's funny. I actually feel stronger in my own human body. Mm. You know, it's it's really funny. i have being. Being doing what I'm doing now is—is I is all that other work, all all the other muscle and stuff is very, very specific. Where what I, apart from the stump stuff, the the things I do are quite general, total body exercises to to try and, you know, I guess, get the most out of my my running ability because I, my technique is shocking, you know, because I've got one leg that's just like a tree trunk. And then the other one's basically a carbon rocket. You know, everyone's putting carbon in shoes now. I'm putting my blade up, and I can sort of do a 20-inch box jump. So it's not. So it's it's difficult to to have the core strength to start running on a blade. But you hit a rock the wrong way, you're getting catapulted left and right. Wow. And then downhill and upstairs, or, or so it's it's taken me a very long time to to connect my neural pathways with the blade itself. And then teaching my body how
2: to deal with the blade on a trail, or on the road, and that sort of stuff. Yeah, wow. I, I mean, we, you mentioned Mark Green there, and and having been coached by him myself, I know that he's he's very big on balance. And it sounds like you, in particular, that's a, that's a massive thing for you. I mean, being you know, it's, I'm, I'm, I struggle as it is, but I can't imagine being catapulted in that way by that blade. So, how how do how do the two of you work together, and and how how does that relationship work? Um, to be able to get you in the in the best condition that you can be for for a race like UTA,
0: yeah, I think there's a lot of communication, and, and at first, you know, I am one of those athletes to believe in more. I don't believe in just following a <laughs> And whereas now, you know, I, I follow the plan, communication, and Mark had to learn quite a lot about um, the I guess the artificial leg, and he's a he's a very willing you know, a very willing learner, you know, he's always asking questions about the leg or can you do this or can you do that? And, you know, can you do a one-legged, you know, deadlift or you do, you know, a, a bird or, or things can, be like, I don't know. So just program it, you know, and then, hmm. and then go home and practice it. So with me, I wasn't afraid of any exercise that we, we, he gave or I wasn't afraid of any, you know, I guess, you know, go out and run 50 Ks or, or do that. So, you know, for me, he had a very willing, I guess, student to, to do everything, if not more, um, than than what was prescribed. So, you know, and and, and I think the biggest thing with any coach athlete uh, is communication back and forth. The often forgotten part of listening or hearing. And I think we both really well with each other, and in conjunction with Pete, the physio, there, you know, the the, the kind of the tripod because I do get quite tight through the thoracics and, and the back and stuff because I'm loading up so much uh, the ricochet of the blade. It's, um, yeah, it's working really well now to the point where it's looking beyond an ultra trial Australia. You know, for me, it's all about getting as many Ks on, on the leg in training, mm. um, but uh, you talked about balance. You know, the proprioception and the neural pathway he's so big on and i was always big on that with my my wheelchair so i did a lot of my weight stuff sitting in my wheelchair um, because i had to to learn to balance in a wheelchair Mm. and now it's similar to where my is very rarely done on two feet i always it's always individual so i try and split my mind up into two different sets because my left foot obviously needs to be really strong but then it's very difficult to balance on a, on, a, on an artificial leg where you don't have ankle proprioception. So that's that's the uh, that's their two differences that I, I really work on, and I try and split them. But uh, he's got a good understanding of, of of what I guess I want with the trail running and and the mountaineering and stuff. So it's um, yeah, I'm really enjoying it. And he often sort of just shakes his head sometimes. Oh, you know, it's it's um you're doing too much. Oh, I can't we can't break you. And I said, you know, I just. The old ego comes back, like yeah. Well, let's you know, let's see how far we can push it. Let's <laughs> keep going, keep going, keep going. But he slows me down, so.
1: I just want to talk about UTA Ultra Trail Australia for a second. I mean, what was that like? What was the process of undertaking the race itself? I mean, it was a goal you had for a while, and yeah, <laughs> what was it like lining up on the start line?
0: So I went to see Pete first, and then Pete told me about Mark being you know, obviously a coach. And and uh, he said, oh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I've signed up for UTA. He laughed. <laughs> he laughed and looked me from head to toe. And he just said, you know, effing kidding, aren't you? <laughs> he said, why wouldn't you start with a 22 or something like that? And I am like, well, I've done two Oxfams and the elevation's bigger than, than what UTA is. And he said, yeah. And I was like, yeah, whatever. So I guess I was very blasé about... I guess UTA and, and the, the, the track and the enormity of of was and and to run that whole time, but you know, my my brother is just my my ultimate supporter. You know, it's you talk about someone right or die type thing, and he's always been there and always. So he picked up my number, and I was just like, "Oh shit, this is happening. <laughs> You know, it's, it's it's happening," and I'm and I lost a lot of weight. In the, in the taper, I think that contributed to my tibia because I, I slipped too far into the actual socket. Um, so I was on the start last year at UTA, which I think was the coldest thing in history, the race. But I was lining up and, you know, everyone's around, you know, obviously really excited about running. And then the, the, the gun goes off and, and I didn't really move because I'm like, man, it's 100K, we've got a long time. I was fine. I was on track because I had a goal of nineteen under nineteen hours. Because last year, if you got under nineteen hours, you got some points to qualify for UTMB, um, and and that's a, that's a huge goal because there's never been an amputee that's done the miler there. Um, so, you know, I got got there and and I was doing well. I was eating, you know, and and then sort of, you know, as I sat down. That's when they started to hurt. So I guess the ant- anticipation of the UTA, you know, it's it's our biggest race in, in, in Australia. Um, and I don't know, like it was just like getting to a, a, a gold medal game. But there was there was everyone that played got a gold medal. So, <laughs> so it was just, you know, you're, you're here. And I just love the vibe because everyone's just so happy there, and and you know what what better way to be in the Australian bush and out in the open and, and the elements? And I think about you know quite often and try to prepare my mind for the pain that I'd with, and it's just I still I still enjoyed it. And my my wife Pip said you know when they so I got I got sort of medevacked out from. 8Ks from the finish. And when I finally got out, she said, I've never seen you so more content in your life. Just because I gave everything I had and I got to 92K and then my equipment failed me. It wasn't a failure because I got f- further than any amputee before and I got further than I think more than 40% of the people. So I lived to fight another day. So it was I, – I just – I just love it. I haven't I you know I was in love with basketball and this this the 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 old it seemed to be just something that I can I can do and I can keep achieving. So yeah, it was huge. It was huge and my brother was really, you know, he obviously was disappointed by pulling out and stuff, but he just this first thing he said to me he said next year. It was awesome. He said it exactly the right thing.
2: Hmm.
0: And, and it looks like
1: you were saying that the we're hopeful that the race goes ahead, obviously, but
0: you've been having a bit of wild weather. Oh, mate, I was on uh, my four-day camp up in the mountains in March and I uh, was sort of about a week into the rains and it was, it was devastating. It, there was, you know, rivers where there shouldn't be were coming up you know the golden staircase, and there was water coming down the golden staircase, shin deep. You know it was, uh, it was. It's 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 really hectic up there, and, and especially with you know been number of landslides, but obviously with the one that happened a couple of weeks ago with the British family at um, Wentworth Falls. You know you've devastation that's already happened. The weather that's apparently coming in the next two to three weeks, and then there's sheer numbers that are going to be running on the track in the event. Mm. You know, you just, uh, I don't know, my, my training plan hasn't changed and, and, you know, obviously Mark's got his ear to the ground as well because he lives at Wentworth Falls and he's very well respected and connected. But, um, you know, we'll just keep plodding uh, along and training. I just i just kind of hope they um, they they make a decision before I get into my taper because if I get into my taper and <laughs> they called off, I'll be... <laughs> I think I might have to go in and lift some heavy weights.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Just someone with a tranquilizer gun and just shoot you.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, put, put me down.
1: That's right. Drop him down. Oh, man. It, it, we spoke uh, a while ago to a woman who uh, went through a really traumatic incident with her family that left her with an, an, an injury, and, and she – she studied she was a physicist and she studied like these tiny particles in antarctica eugene you can and and we were we were asking her about sort of climate change versus weather and she's saying this sort of stuff isn't necessarily climate change it's weather but man it seems like the weather's getting pretty hectic in our in our uh, neck of the woods eh at the moment
0: yeah you know i uh, you know you read things like i'm 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 looking at going to uh, to Ecuador to, to to do Cotopaxi and and Chimbo and some other two or two or three other you know volcanoes. And you know, the last five years, the ice has actually gone back up the mountain ten meters. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I just, you sort of just think, well, how can you ignore that? And and I look at the weather. Years ago, we had the we had the fires up in the Blue Mountains which which sort of undermined all the root systems and mm. we had some winds and now we've got the rains and it's just I don't know, it's just it just seems, you know, a bit bit deadly. And I the UTA and you know, I love the environment I love the community and that sort of stuff. But eventually you've just got to sort of say, hey, it's not about the dollars. Yeah. It's about the safety of mm. it's also about if you are if it is about the dollars, what you want to do is have repeat business. And the best way to have a beat business, just like with a coach, is communication. Mm. And it's just been, I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, obviously I hope the race is on, but I hope the race is safe to start with. Mm. It's not the best environment up there at the moment to have an event. I would say that. And yeah. I don't go. I used to basically before I was, uh, I stay in the mountains usually once a week to try and again get more familiar with the environment and, and then to put two big runs together or stair sessions and and hills and that sort of stuff but I haven't been up since March just because I honestly I was scared I was scared running in the in, in that environment and with the you know with the amount of landslides that was around.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean it's safety first, eh. That's that's the thing you you want to be you want to be there you want to be at the start line uh wherever or whenever that may be and yeah, so yeah. you don't want to you don't want to everyone wants to push themselves of course, but um Safety first, for sure. Hey, just diverting a little bit. I, I wanted to ask you about cold water immersion because um, I see yeah. I see you do a bit of that. Can you can you explain to us what what you do and 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 what impact it has?
0: So so for me, I, I would I would have to say that uh, I'm a huge believer in recovery, and uh, we we started wheelchair uh, basketball. We actually started doing recovery in 2004, and it was just the old Wim Hof method. And if you didn't come out with ice burns, you weren't hard enough. Um, you know, so for, for me right now, with with the amount I'm training and and my business and company, um, you know, I, I believe hugely in in infrared saunas, um, in massage. So, yeah, I use, uh, you know, I've made up a, a dummy sort of garbage bin that uh, sort of around 10 degrees with ice and cold water and spend 15 to 20 minutes in it a day and it, it for 46 and and what it allows me to do is there's science behind it but I'm just going to say me me personally mentally obviously it makes me stronger because I'm getting into cold water when it's not hot outside but what I feel is is obviously the body working its way through the lymphatic system and getting rid of getting rid of um, you know, swelling or micro tearing. But, you know, it's within the stump itself. My stump swells enormous because it's very difficult for for the, I guess, the lymphatic system to work properly when you're going through all these races. So I will very rarely, like in the 100K, I took my leg off every checkpoint, but it was only for less than 30 seconds to change the silicon liner. And then I needed to get it straight back in because if I didn't, I couldn't get it back in mm. because it would swell so much, like our feet swell. So for me, what I, I find that the, the daily ice tub, um, you know, and then the cold water therapy in the showers, it it allows it allows me to, to obviously, you know, cool the body very quickly, but also take care of any swelling or, or extra pain. So then you can go to the myofascial releasing. Um, you know, I also have started to use... A hyperbaric chamber, um, a hydrogen chamber. Uh, that um, so I spend ninety minutes uh, twice a week in in those. Um, and if anything, what what I get is ninety minutes of pure uninterrupted sleep. Um, and for those that have families, understand that, you know. So, but also, also again, there's science that that talks about that. You know what it does. <laughs> getting the blood and, and, again, lymph drainage and all that sort of stuff. So, you know, for me, my my ultimate goal is once, again, when I get older, I would actually like to take my my business for recovery and how important it is. You know, when they say for every hour in the classroom, you should spend two out of it studying. Well, my theory is for every hour you're actually running mean, close to that amount of recovery. Hmm. And that's, that's just my theory at my age of 46, you know, is, there, is, is massage, the cold water therapy, um, you've got your heat packs. Yeah, yeah. And infrared saunas for me are just awesome because I hate a normal sauna because they heat up the air around you so they dehydrate you quicker where an infrared sauna goes straight into the body and it's not heating the air, it's heating your body. So it's allowing, again, the lymphatic system to work better and it works really well on injuries injuries. And so forth and you know touch wood i've been injury free since uh, since my broken stump so you know and i've been sort of employing the the daily ritual of you know foam rolling of the, the trigger balls of the you know the air compression leg that, that sort of again the swelling and moving away um, from from the the toes and closer up into the bigger muscles to try and get it rid of out of your body so every minute that i have that spare i i, I spend you know mobility work and uh leading into over the next sort of four or five weeks and leading into hopefully uta i'll, I'll be doing probably twice a day in the ice the ice tub one more of a sort of a, anywhere from zero to five degrees to to really start to get the the blood flowing and and prepare the mind for for certain pain pain barriers that i'll have to go through in, the, in my next event. wow
1: it's it's the mindset of an elite athlete, isn't it? I mean, that's what you and I hope that doesn't come across as I I hope that doesn't come come across in any way as, as as patronizing. It's it's not meant to be, but it's that, you know, we have friends as well. So we know someone who played cricket to a really high level. We know someone who runs and is a Commonwealth Games silver medalist in Queen's Pears shooting. And yep. just because running isn't the sport with which they became elite at, the mindset that they take is is similar it's it's just such a such an interest it's just such an interesting <laughs> it you can know be all consuming sometimes
0: yeah not. i mean what you, i guess you work as me, an exercise therapist so you you part this is sort of it. i i i believe i believe so my motto for my, my my company is that i believe that everyone can can be elite my mum's elite is not my elite. And my mom just had a hip replacement and a bone graft and her goal is after eight weeks to try to put on our own shoes. So yeah. we're going through yeah. different different ability things and where she's she's getting up and instead of she hates exercise, and so I said, we'll go to the grocery store and go through every single aisle. And that's her elite. So I believe it's relative. I do believe that deep down and inside everyone, they – they want to achieve because when you achieve the smallest of goal, it creates an, an a rainbow. You know what I mean? It opens your eyes. and And I and through exercise, I want to provide therapy for individuals who have not only disabilities that we can see, but the unseen disability. But even, you know the, the 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 corporate juggernaut. Because here's my other theory too: the corporate juggernauts, if they actually focused on recovery, they'd be able to be more of a juggernaut because. Hmm they'd be able to recover better and spend more time working because they're recovering, they're doing the things that they need to do. So through my business, I have people all walks of life, from lunchtime legends uh, to, to you know, uh, people that are looking at the AFL draft. and It's all relative about how you want to plan if you can break things down. You know, I often say ask the question five times. And every time you answer that with an answer, you have your answer, you ask another question from that answer eventually you get you break it down to the bottom of 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 whatever you need so for me i want to i want to be able to i guess move forward in in whichever way possible whether it's fast or slow and for me to do that i need to take care of my body because i already had a disadvantage with my leg i don't mean that i've got no leg but what i mean is that physiologically things happen to my stump that don't happen to your feet mm. and for me and if I haven't experienced that at all, or done all the recovery, or got hit the starting line with with my best foot, then then my eliteness or my my idea of being elite can't actually be achieved. So it's you, you, I do I do believe that certain people obviously have have certain DNA. Otherwise, everyone's a gold medalist. But I, I still feel like I'm just I'm just one of those. That's that's the one optimistic side of me. I feel that. The reason I love to do my job as an exercise therapist is because I you know I believe that a quadriplegic who was injured previously has a neural pathway developed to the brain already and that if we can train the brain to reconnect that neural pathway we can make we can we can make things work and happen obviously if you're severed you know there's there's different different medical things but that's the way I work. I, I believe. And I for me too, i you know, my goal, if you look at me running from the belly button up, I have the perfect shoulders. Shoulders aren't dipping, but then you go belly button down, you're like, oh my God, you're a dog's breakfast as a runner. Well, I've got no <laughs> legs. So for me <laughs> to to be efficient as a runner, it's like, well, okay, if I can actually have my core stability so strong or so in tune with my lower body that's all over the shop, then I'm being efficient. So I, I look at everyone as, as, as so how can we get the most efficiency and the most, give you the most best chance of being your elite or climbing your Everest? You know, that's that's just that that side of me that has that belief in everyone. And, and you know, and again, that's why I like the the ultra running because all the, the trail running is because, Man, you see all shapes and sizes out there, and you mm-hmm. think, yeah. so, sometimes in my head I think, man, you have got no business being out here. You're gonna, are, are you gonna be okay? But then when I was sitting at the in the medical tent at 92 kilometers, these guys, they're going, they're still going to the end, and I'm sitting in the medical tent. So, you know, it's 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 relative, isn't it?
1: Yeah. Look, it's so relative. I mean, we helped to I helped to put on a race couple of weeks ago you know the last person standing event at riverhead and there were some people who you know obviously well be they're well they look well but you couldn't have picked you know and i'm thinking a couple of people in particular you could not have picked them out of a lineup exactly. if, if you just said that person is standing there eating a banana in the corral having just run 200 kilometers 200 kilometers consecutively over 30 yep. hours and looks like you know they're going to Jog down to the shops for a pint of milk. You, yep. You're right, Troy. It's that sense of. I guess it harkens back too to that thing that you said at the start: is if you keep your world small, like that that meter square, you can, you know, you, you can be that sort of that personal relative elite. Hey,
0: yeah, for sure, totally. And every, everyone's got it in there. Like it's just you just got to find what's your thing and what you enjoy and and how you best. You know want to move forward and for me forward progression no matter how small it's still forward progression and that's that's one of the other sayings that i'm in the you know in, in sort of middle of a session of this like like last thursday it was torrential rain i had two Gore-Tex rain jackets on and i got absolutely drenched and i had and i put a you know put a, a full-length poncho on and you know i had i was slushing in my leg because it was all sopping wet And I got to about thirty-five kilometers, and I'm just thinking, like, oh, I'm out, I'm done. And I and I stopped, and I was just, I just couldn't handle it anymore because it got to me. And I didn't didn't shrink it down. I'm like, well, you know, in my head, everyone's saying, you go, oh, you're running in this bad weather. I usually say it's not bad, it's just different, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But it just sort of wore me down over the over the five hours, and I was just like, oh, I'm I'm done, I'm out of here. I just can't do it anymore.
1: Every everyone has a time with with that has been the case. Hey, look, Troy. Just want to ask you. I mean, you've been so generous with your time with us, and it's been amazing. It has been amazing to talk to. You. Just want to find out, like Troy Sachs, what's been your greatest run ever?
0: Oh, you know, I, I think I think uh, my I really love the training runs. You know, like. I would would, like Mount Solitary was just phenomenal for me because it wasn't a planned, a planned run. Um, you know, I went with a mate that, that I just, uh, I did a charity run. I have a foundation. I did a charity run from Canberra to Sydney in December, you know, and he, he, he sort of ran about 30 Ks a day with me. And, uh, so we just sort of set off and we said, Oh, let's do Mount Solitary. And, you know, Mark was just, Mark just couldn't believe it that I just go and do Mount Solitary without any planning. I'm being like, well, it's, only 25 kilometres, but it's obviously quite high. I'd have to say that, you know, that was a really awesome one. You know, Canberra to Sydney was was phenomenal because it was, you know, 300 kilometres over five days. We finished in Sydney on International Day of Disability, December 3. And, you know, it's more so my birthday. And I, I sort of I sort of feel with the foundation, you know, the goal of the foundation is to sort of promote, you know, always having a crack, no labels, no limits, you know, and just just get out there and be your best version of yourself. So, I'd have to say, you know, my my training runs, and you know, I would say what's coming up. Obviously, And you know, I think UTA is just a catalyst uh, for what's what's coming up. You know, I've I've dreams of of uh, you know looking into the mountaineering stuff and Explorers Nine and and some other big big runs. There's some there's there's a legendary above to Terry Fox that ran across Canada. Yep. In, mm-hmm. the, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to, uh, you know, and he actually had cancer when he was doing that. He died mm-hmm. three or four weeks after he finished. I'd like to recreate, I'd like to redo that run in his honour. I'd also like to do Lara Pinta to, to uh, bring, you know, more exposure to uh, the, the, lack of, um, the lack of help that's been given to our uh, Aboriginal disabilities. Um, and, and also the, the National Disability Insurance Scheme doesn't reach up there. You know, so there's some big, big runs. You know, Rick Hansen, another Canadian that pushed his wheelchair around the world in, in, in the 80s. So there's some big runs that I want to do that I guess you call them now the FKTs. So there's some other big runs, but, I, you know, I'd love to do UTMB. I'd love to do Leadville um, and, and Hard Rock and all those runs because for people with disabilities, if they don't see other people with disabilities doing things that are out there, they don't know that they can do it. Mm. And, and I just think that, you know, I'm, I'm 46. I've only been running for three years. I've got a lot to do and a lot to give. But, you know, I'd like to actually encourage and and get exposure for this sport of ours that we we obviously love so much. Because I believe that to be a Paralympian, there's only going to be 2 or 3% of our people with disabilities that can be Paralympians, just like an Olympian, right? Mm-hmm. So what are the other percentage going to do that, that, that aren't being active. Well, we need to provide them opportunity to be active and what better way to get out of the bush and go bushwalking or hiking or entering these events that are in beautiful scenery and great countries and that sort of stuff with, with such an exciting and encouraging community. So, for me, that's, you know, there's there's a couple of others sort of around in the US that are, that are doing a lot, of, a lot of stuff, but they're not promoting it to try and get other amputees doing it. So... I guess that's that's uh, foundation sort of goal is to, to do that and you know I have have a dream of of creating you know equality in in a in a world record and I'd like to I'd like to challenge an able-bodied record because then there's then there's no love. it's actually just a record because I I call myself a runner I don't call myself an ultra runner or you know this or that. And I don't see you know whether it be six hundred kilometers or fifty kilometers or a thousand kilometers, it's moving forward. So you know if I could do if I could do that within the next sort of five to six years, you know that's where I see I see myself sort of hang. I would love to challenge the amputee marathon world record of two hours fifty seven um, one day. so I just just need to obviously learn how to run better with my dog's breakfast down, you know, down below the belly button (coughs) and, uh, yeah, and keep pushing. And, and again, with with shows like yours, you know, like this is just the great way to get get the word out about, you know, checking out amputees and don't be scared to have a chat with someone with a disability about questions you have because that's the only way we break stigma down and we educate people is by... Everyone asking a question or, or sort of not treating them any different than you would treat your mother or father or your brother or sister.
1: Mm. It's hard not to, um, I don't care, able-bodied, whatever, like this is going to stoke people out because you're a beast and you're getting after it. <laughs>
0: that's like,
1: yeah, try,
0: try here's the and challenge. All, that's, and that's all, you know what, that's all individuals with disabilities are after is is to be just – you know, I just want to be Troy Sachs, you know. And when I yeah. when I finished playing wheelchair basketball and, and you know, that Hall of Fame dinner happened, it's like, you know what, I'm no longer Troy Sachs, the wheelchair basketball. Yeah. I'm just Troy Sachs. And it was hard to deal with because there's no more fanfare, there's no more, you know, driving Porsches or living in penthouse hotels in Europe and flying first class, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's you know what, you're, you're just, you're a layman, you know, and, and, and you Know, I sort of took a while to get used to it, and now I just yeah, cool. I'm a beast, like that's 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 awesome. <laughs> yes,
2: Troy, I, I can't wait to get you back on. Um, maybe in a couple of years, and and after you've knocked off all those runs, because I got no doubt that you're going to, and um, and then ask you again what's your greatest run because I reckon you're gonna have a hard time choosing so. Um, look, so. we, we really, really appreciate your time. Um, we love what you're doing. We love what you do. And um, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Likewise, thanks for the support and uh, keep up the good
2: work. I loved how he casually threw in there getting up at 3am to do his training. <sighs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, and I mean... I just started that conversation off with just a statement because I was just generally like, "Wow, yeah. you, you see, like it's really great to have you here." And it's amazing to see him. You know again, that thing and not trying to be mawkish, it's not you know, that sense of he said, I just wanted to be I got to this highest pinnacle of the, of the sport, being inducted into the Australian Hall of Fame, and I'm just Troy. Mm. You know, yeah, love it. Love it. Amazing, powerful. Thanks, mate. Thank, thank you, you so Joy. much. Yeah, mm. Can't wait to see how you go. And thank you all very much for tuning in. We're on social media at Dirt Church Radio. You can email us at dirtchurchradio at gmail.com. You find us on all the podcast platforms. Like and subscribe if you fancy. Leave a review if you want. And you can download direct from the website, which is dirtchurchradio at dot .com. Don't forget
2: to write in with your greatest friend ever. We'd love to hear from you. And you can read them on the website too. Send them into to us, dirtchurchradio at gmail.com.
1: Thanks to our sponsors, Scott Running, Further Faster, and CLE. Thank you to our Patreon patrons, and thank you to Wild Things. And thanks to our editor, Kieran. Stay tuned next week. We've got another great show lined up.
2: Hey, kona. Ah. Thanks, Rigby.